Good morning, everybody. It is Father Edward Looney here, and you are listening to A Cup of St. Joe, or you're watching A Cup of St. Joe, this weekly espresso shot of teaching and devotion about St. Joseph during Pope Francis's Year of St. Joseph. Today, I'm very delighted to be speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Lev, who is a U.S. art historian currently living in Rome, and I happened upon an article that she wrote on Althea the other day and thought it would be great to have a discussion with her. I wanted to talk about art, and so I thought this was the appropriate time and way to do it. So welcome, Dr. Lev. I'm very delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you're an art historian, you're living in Rome, and, uh, you, and you teach about art and so forth. And the Gospels, I think, often give us kind of a portrait. So St. Joseph, we know, doesn't say much, anything really, in the sacred scriptures, but yet we meet him along the way, especially at those pivotal moments of Christ's life. And that's how he's often depicted then as, you know, his relationship to the birth of Jesus, his, um, his presentation in the temple, the finding of the temple, all these different ways in which we see St. Joseph. I guess as we think about St. Joseph and art, and this is the month of St. Joseph, we've just had the feast of St. Joseph as well. Uh, lots of people probably have seen him on their timelines on social media. They have, they have pictures themselves, they have statues in their churches. And so they depict St. Joseph in varied ways. But maybe the first thing to talk about is what is the earliest depiction of St. Joseph? Well, the first time St. Joseph, um, so St. Joseph is very, very elusive, by the way, in his, uh, in the early years of Christian art. So even though we see the beginning of Christian art already, let's say, conservatively speaking, about 200 AD in the catacombs of Rome, um, Joseph doesn't appear. And it, granted, the, the, the images chosen by the early Christian community do not focus so much on his infancy, but you can be sure they're images of the nativity and the Im Im images of the Magi, and yet Joseph does not appear. Not in the frescoes in the catacombs, not in the reliefs on the sarcophagi. He doesn't make his first appearance until 432 in Santa Maria Maggiore. So in this, in this tremendous moment, we're beyond the legalization of Christianity, which has already happened in 313. We're beyond the construction of St. John Lateran, which has already been built in 300. Amazing, big, beautiful, look at us, we're Christians. Churches, they built the first church in the West dedicated to the Blessed Virgin, and they're on the triumphal arch. So this beautiful, glistening mosaic decoration above the altar, they show a register with the life of with the life of Christ, his infancy, in which we find Saint Joseph featured not once but five times, more times than Mary is represented, and more times than Jesus Jesus himself is represented. So that's the earliest depiction comes in this church in Rome, of course, and you've been to St. Mary Major many of times. And we know that Pope Francis himself goes there as a pilgrim. Anytime that he goes on one of these apostolic pilgrimages, uh, he goes there to pray before the image of Our Lady and uh, to leave flowers to really entrust that trip, uh, his experience uh, to the intercession of Mary. So St. Joseph is depicted there. And now, over the course of history, then, Joseph continues to get depicted uh, in many different ways. And 
kind of what is the evolution, I guess, of how St. Joseph might be portrayed in art from these earliest expressions and then maybe going through the Renaissance period? Well, I think one of the things we need to bear in mind is why is it why is it that Joseph has such a hard time appearing to the point where he doesn't show up until 400 years into, or 300 years into, 200 years into Christian iconography, 400 years into the Christian experience? And a lot of it has to do, of course, with the problem of the virgin birth. It's very hard to sell to a group of Romans who are cynical up to here that there's this, you know, God who was born into the world of a virgin, and the Romans are, does not compute, does not compute. So removing the father figure from the imagery is very important at this stage. Also to emphasize the divinity of Christ, because make no mistake, the Romans again are up to here with these demigods, right? With all women, they've got demigods everywhere. So you need to separate the figure of Jesus from them. And again, Joseph is very gallant and he stands aside, allowing these uh, figures to 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 stand to the to the fore, and the the third reason is that there's a third problem is that during the period of persecution, the concentration of images of saints is on the martyrs, right? So you kind of want to keep holding up how important the martyrs are, and the idea of someone who has lived his life in sort of a quiet service isn't quite what they're looking for image-wise. And then comes the then comes the era of peace. And now people start looking for ways of talking about how to live a good Christian life of dedication and service. And suddenly, hey, what about that Joseph? And so Joseph begins to show up in, in very interesting ways. Um, in 1100, there is finally a relic of Joseph, right? So 1100, someone finally pops up with a Josephine relic. And um, the, the Joseph relic, is, um, they could be show shoes, they could be tights, they could be, but they're hosen is what they're called. And they are apparently uh, some article of clothing, most likely Joseph's pants, that according to this new tradition that starts to circulate, um, in their poverty, Joseph took his old pair of trousers, as it were, and he cut them into swaddling clothes for the child. And that relic goes to Aachen, where there's the shrine of the Blessed Virgin, and there they have this devotion begins to center on the Holy Family, with again this image of Joseph who gives, he gives everything he can, right? And so we start these images of Joseph who becomes the busy guy. Joseph is the busy guy in the images. So when you see northern, northern images of the Holy Family, so Mary and Jesus are there's one fabulous picture away with his tools or he's you know he's he's busy with something so he helps the viewer enter into the what is it like for a human being like a normal guy to be part of this holy family and so that's kind of an interesting little uh, uh foray into imagery that takes place in in the north whereas in the italian stream you know we have a kind of a constant constant pressure to produce new and greater art, Joseph begins to take on some very, very, very interesting imagery. So kind of the great Joseph moment happens around the 1300s, where this whole, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's an interest in the infancy narratives, uh, in the wake of St. Francis of Assisi, who's very interested in the human experience of Christ. Um, there's a, there's a lot 
lot of it's life. So, you know, pseudo Matthew and the Protoevangelium. And so people start drawing out these kind of fun backstories of Joseph and employing them in art. And then uh, Joseph begins to take on this new kind of dignified image of Joseph the dreamer. So we see in 1300, a lot of this paralleling between Joseph of the New Testament and Joseph of the Old Testament, very specifically in the figure who, in the nativity, he's kind of sitting in the corner going like this, sleeping, right? Looking like he's meditative and people are like, oh yeah, well, there's Mary busy giving birth and there's Joseph napping. <laughs> but it's Joseph whose experience of the divine takes place through these, through these dreams. And so they get very interested in this Joseph who has divine communication through the through his sleep in his sleep. Wow. So that's, you know, that's kind of a great way for us to look at St. Joseph in the different ways, his different roles, as you mentioned, a busy person, as a normal person fitting into this holy family, and then as the dreamer. And that's one of the things about stained glass windows, for example, having been used back in the day as really the poor man's Bible. They were used to convey the stories, to teach the stories to an illiterate generation. So we have these art pieces then that can convey so much meaning uh, and can tell us a backstory. And if we look at the picture, if we look at the image, you know, I never kind of put that together, why St. Joseph would be sleeping in the background of the nativity. But you mentioned now, well, that's because he's the dreamer. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's a lot of craze about the sleeping St. Joseph statue because of Pope Francis, again, putting his petitions, his intentions under that statue. So if we read an image, well, then it begins to teach us and come to know more, just as you've shared with us right now. Well, it's very on for a while. As a matter of fact, I remember being very moved um, in, in, in the very first uh, um, uh, homily he gave when he talked about the dignity of work. And so it was one of his first things as Pope was to talk about the dignity of work and how in particular he was talking about how a man feels out of place without work and that it's part of being the structure of society that Joseph really, he's, he's the patron of that. He's the patron of the worker, but he's also the man who in, in just all kinds of beautiful, right down to Bernard of Clairvaux, we find Joseph described as the man who in the face of the glory that is his wife and son, he finds his place in the little humble work that he does to sustain them. And I think that's that's part of what so we see that already in the beginning of the conduct of Pope Francis. Then in 2016, Pope Francis chose a really interesting and quite revolutionary Christmas Jocko, about 1300. And it comes from the lower basilica of the season. And it was, a, it's, there are loads, and Giotto did a hundred images of the nativity. He could have chosen any one, but he chose this one. And this one has like a dual level to it. It's like a two layer nativity scene where Jesus appears twice, right? So you could think, oh my gosh, I have two people in one. But the upper part of it shows just this kind of inside the shed, there's these angels and beams of light and Mary's staring at Jesus and Jesus staring at Mary. It's like a super holy moment. Oh, you can hear the angels singing. But on the lower part, there's a second Jesus who's being bathed by a bunch of midwives, which comes from the apocryphal stories. They're like busy scrubbing down Jesus. And Joseph is in that lower part, staring at that, that, that human baby who's about to be fed, who's being washed, et cetera, et cetera. And this 
really a very, I mean, this is so revolutionary when Giotto does it because he's trying to make people understand. This man and the wise men come to the door and this child who has needs and who is human, they are the same person. And Joseph is the essential figure in helping us understand that human experience. Now, one of the things we see about St. Joseph and talk about a human experience, well, how is it that we know how old he is? Of course, there's lots of different uh, accounts of that. So the Proto-Evangelium of James gives one account, other traditions give a different account. But uh, for St. Joseph, uh, he's depicted often as this older gentleman. And so a lot of times it's been said, well, this is to protect the virginity of Mary. But in the human experience of St. Joseph, if you think about it, well, he had to go all the way to Bethlehem from Nazareth for the census. They flee into Egypt. There's all this travel. And you wonder if such an aged old man would have been able to do that. And so um, in art, though, I think there's been this kind of transition from doing the, the old St. Joseph to now maybe a more younger, more virile St. Joseph. It, would that be a correct assessment? Yes, yeah, so although I'll let you get away with the old Joseph stuff as I'm approaching the age of uh, Joseph when he allegedly became the father of this child. I feel like I could manage a trip to Egypt or two. But the fact of the matter is, yes, there is a very distinct, um, there's a very, very distinct uh, shift in the iconography and it does go back and forth. It's very, very, very interesting. And you are absolutely right. The uh, original representation of Joseph is old and also in the Apocryphal Pseudo-Matthew and Proto-Evangelium, it is in part, it is more than in part, it is to protect the virginity of the, the Blessed Virgin. So that there is this image of a Joseph who's sort of beyond the youthful urges, right? That's, that's, that's the idea. Um, it, very about him. He's not taught, he's, they, they, they become very interested. There's a real interest in a man who chooses to be chased. That the chastity of Joseph is a choice, and it's not something that's imposed on him because he has no other choice. And so this 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 image of a man who has a tremendous self-discipline and a tremendous sense of service becomes also important by the first millennium. And so we have these dueling images of, of Joseph. Very, very, very interesting to find that in 1300, Joseph starts to get, he gets, he gets to age again. He, he ages again. And Joseph ages again. Just at the same time, he starts a new outfit. He starts wearing blue and yellow. So he becomes a white haired man with kind of short white hair. He has a short white beard and he wears a blue robe and a yellow mantle, which, oh my gosh, who, who dresses up like that? Saint Peter because in this period when the Pope has moved to Avignon, when the Pope is away from the church, when there's a lot of questions about the papacy, the papacy is already in trouble before it moves to Avignon. The idea of Joseph becoming a model for the papacy, so like, like Joseph, foster father to this child, stood by, took care of, watched over, never left the, the virgin and the child, that that becomes the model, and this is explicitly stated in the 
in the theology of Jean Gerson later on in the 14th century, that becomes the model of what the Pope should be to the church. So there's a really interesting moment when Joseph ages back again <laughs> and starts to look like Peter. And then, um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the, the, the Renaissance, comes back again with uh, a Joseph who is who looks a lot younger for his for, for the marriage of, of Joseph. So it, he he serves so many purposes, Joseph, that it just it's almost like a, you're opening a floodgate of of what of of the type of imagery. But by the end of the 1400s, um, there's a shift in the iconography again where they want to show the marriage of the Virgin. So the image that they're the most interested in is showing Joseph and Mary getting married. And this is because of problems that have arisen um, in the sacrament of marriage. Wow. And so that's using art to kind of remedy a, a situation. So we, if we promote a devotion to the marriage of St. Joseph, to the espousals, to the betrothal and all of this, well, then uh, maybe that can help solve the situation. And maybe some people are thinking we need that today even. And so to see that image, and that's a traditional image that you often see as a gift sometimes is, is that image to a, a couple on the occasion of their wedding or maybe the wedding feast at Cana, a, a different event, of course. But yeah, that's very interesting. One of the things about what you just mentioned, him being depicted in blue and yellow, for example, I, I, set, I tend to think that red is, was a traditional color associated with St. Joseph. Am I off base there or is red some sort of association with him? Red is sometimes used in, in Joseph, especially in earlier uh, early icons, Joseph wears red. In Northern painting, he wears red a great deal. Um, it's just this little spate of images, Central Italy, uh, about 1300, to 1400, he starts wearing this blue and yellow. So it is, I mean, to the point where you can see it's an intentional iconographic shift. Okay. And um, yeah. What's the most famous painting of St. Joseph, do you think? Well, let's see, it's a little, I, I, I would tend to think, I, I'm not sure what other people see. Um, I tend to think the most famous paintings of is Murillo's uh, the Joseph, the Holy Family in Joseph's studio, which is a very, very, very beautiful uh, work. I think in this day and age, maybe um, the uh, it's a uh, Murillo uh, in um, 17th century Spain uh, spent about as much time painting Saint Joseph as he did the Immaculate Conception. So if you look up um, Murillo, you're going to find that he's the Immaculate Conception painter par excellence. He just painted it over and over and over and over and over again until he's the one who basically gave us the image. But it turns out that side by side with doing all these Immaculate Conception images, he was also very involved with making images of Joseph. And so you can see um, images of Joseph sort of holding Jesus close together, holding Jesus by the hand, or this incredibly beautiful image of St. Joseph in his studio, where you see him seated, uh, baby Jesus is in front of him, Mary's sitting in the corner working at a, a really intimately in his studio, but the point of reference in the work is Jesus who is looking towards Joseph. They establish, uh, it's establishing these images which has established a relationship between Jesus and Joseph, which is very often lacking. So the marriage of the Virgin establishes the relationship between Mary and Joseph. Of 
course, for reasons of, of, of protecting marriage, which by the way, if you were to look at the problems they were having in marriage, marriage at the time, you would say, why, yes, it would probably be a good idea to make more of those images today because their problems are very similar. They have problems of concubines, problems of prostitution, problems of, of bigamy, they have all kinds of difficulties because marriage was not very clear. Uh, it had become a little bit unclear as a sacrament. So, or the way the sacrament was, was, was administered. Um, so the, uh, the, the, this imagery of, of Joseph is really, it, 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 it's very innovative because it creates a direct relationship between Joseph and Jesus. And we begin to see, you know, that Joseph who, um, uh, I'm trying to remember which, oh no, it's the spiritual director of, um, it's the spiritual director of St. Teresa of Avila who dedicates 12 of her 17 monasteries to St. Joseph. So she really likes him too. Um, it's it's, it's uh, Geronimo Gassian who says that Joseph was like Jesus in stature, countenance, manners, et cetera, et cetera. So he really creates a similarity so that artists they're receiving is make Joseph look like a grown-up Jesus, like baby Jesus. And then when Jesus grows up, they look like Joseph. So make Joseph look like Jesus as an adult. It's a beautiful, beautiful complexity to this imagery. And, and it's amazing to me as I started work on this, and I'm very, very grateful to say to, to Pope Francis. I, it's amazing how little of this has been tapped and put together. It's really a very psychology and spirituality and imagery all together in a way that really it's very nourishing for us. And, and it's a real gift that the Pope has given us to really take time to think about this person. Now, you mentioned Murillo being one of the famous uh, painters of St. Joseph. Is that spelled M-U-R-I-L-L-O? I'm just kind of guessing on the spelling there. Okay. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah, I'll try to find it and uh, maybe insert it into the video here so that people can see which image you think might be the most famous. Now, perhaps it's the same answer, but what would be your most favorite, your favorite depiction of St. Joseph? Huh, interesting. Um, I think I, well, I'm a Baroque specialist, which Maria is Baroque. So I suppose that is, that is, um, that is uh, acceptable. But I think I like the, the fine start producing images of St. Joseph where he is holding the baby Jesus. It's derived from ancient, Greco-Roman sculpture, which I'm sure your listeners don't want to hear about, but uh, artists, Guido Reni is kind of the, 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 the superstar of these, this bazillion of them, but um, Joseph is seen as a little bit older, so they're following more the tradition. They've had some problems with Giordano Bruno, who's been doubting the virginity of Mary, so they're a little concerned about these questions, but um, it's very, very beautiful because you see Joseph cradling the Christ child, so it's just Joseph and Jesus, and you see Joseph cradling the Christ child and this expression of wonder on his face and this tenderness between the two of them. So I do appreciate the more, um, we have a beautiful world word um, in, in Italian, complice. I, I, I appreciate the, the rapport of support that Murillo gives. So there's Jesus starting his mission and there's Joseph helping Jesus on his little infantile mission. But there's something about that image of um, Joseph cradling the child, very much a father looking upon his newborn son. I think that's 
that, that to me, for me personally, if I were to put one up in my house, I would like one of those Guido Rainey ones. There's some other very, very lovely ones from the modern era. They got very interesting in the modern era. Um, Millet did a lovely image of Jesus in Joseph's workshop where Jesus um, hurts himself. And, it, it, and Joseph is reaching across the workshop to try to help Jesus as he's wounded his hand, which is a portent of things to come. There's another one by Tissot, James Tissot, which is completely gratuitous and absolutely magnificent. Tissot did these images um, of the Bible. He tried to illustrate the Bible, but he threw in a completely just, I feel like doing this. It's Joseph in his workshop. It's just Joseph. And you see him in his workshop. His workshop is kind of outside in the street, the way they are in the Holy Land. And he's just sort of gazing off. He's dreaming with his eyes open with his tools all around him. And it's it's, it's, it's just a first person up close. You know, there was Joseph, he was busy at work and then into his heart, into his, into his soul, into his mind comes this divine message. There, there are so many beautiful works and so many things to look at. And what was the name of the one of Joseph cradling the Christ child? Who is the, who is the- is Guido Reni, Guido Reni. I like to tell my students, Guido the Kidney, um, R-E-N-I. And okay. he is, um, he is uh, uh, there are many of them. Uh, there are slight variations among them, but you'll see the, the general gist of it. I think I have the depiction that you're speaking of in mind. I think it's a popular one that I've seen. For me, uh, in terms of art in St. Joseph, uh, a number of years ago now, there was this uh, traveling exhibit and I just happened to have been in St. Louis for a weekend and went to the St. Louis Art Museum and uh, it was Federico Barocci, and uh, they had this whole, you know, whole exhibit of him. And uh, I just really fell in love with his uh, rest on the flight from Egypt. So like they're they're coming home, I think, or whatever, and there they are just kind of um, resting. And there's a, a body of water, like a little stream of water, and there's a fruit basket. And I, I always thought that that was kind of a, a very beautiful image uh, of the Holy Family. If I had uh, you on something that was mobile, I would take you to the front room of my house where you will see that is right in front of my entry door, that particular image. Oh, I love wow. it. Barocci is one of my favorite painters and that is my favorite painting by Barocci. It's, it's just lovely. I have to say the protagonist of the work is more Mary and, and baby Jesus, but yes, it, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily beautiful. Maybe just last question would be, why should people have sacred art in their homes? Because sacred art is meant to be lived. It's meant to become, it's a way to reinforce your faith. It's a way for you to own the own in that kind of way that we like to use it in the 21st century. It's the way for you to own the saints, the stories, the passages, the, the moments of the Bible that speak to you and in owning them and being proud of them and seeing the beauty of them, it helps you to share it with others. So limiting our uh, sacred art to when I go to a museum is first of all, seeing it in a, in a, in a situation which has basically stripped it from any um, uh, context that, 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 that would evoke faith. My, my, my personal example, the one that I think of the most, is that when I first 
went to the when I first went to the Prado for the very first time, and I was on my way to go see Las Maninas because that's what you do when you go to the Prado, and it's a great painting. But um, at the time, they had the Crucifixion of Christ by Velasquez, which is a life-size crucifixion. It's tucked in an anteroom right before Las Maninas over on the right. It was. And I remember turning in a little anteroom. So this is like where people are going in and out. It's, it's, it's the way in and out to go see the most famous painting. And I remember seeing that painting and it, 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 it took my breath away. And what's more, for the very first time, there was something about that painting that all I wanted to do was to kneel down in front of it. It made me, it made me tearful. I just, I just wanted to be someplace where I could be at the feet of Christ. And there it was in this anteroom that since moved it, but still it's in the museum. What are you gonna do? You're gonna kneel down in the middle of the museum and start weeping at the feet of Christ and saying, I'm sorry for my sins. No, you're not. So this, one of the things about music for them, but, when one has art in one's home, it allows you to have the experience that's not mediated by what are the other people or the custodians or the shushers, what are they going to think? It allows you to really begin to experience the art on your own, in your own, in your own way. I'm not saying we can all have a Velasquez in our house, but we can at least, you know, have the opportunity to look at that Velasquez or look at the Guarochi or whatever it is and feel like, uh, um, we, 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 we can have that experience and think about our faith in this environment. And then having done so in this sheltered space, it makes it easier for us to go out into the world, having reinforced ourselves. It makes it easier for us to go out in the world and do what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to bring the message of truth, goodness, and beauty to the world. And if we don't have it in our houses, it's harder for us to have it in ourselves and it's harder for us to bring it To the world. I am just in awe of everything that you've shared in this past half hour. There's so much there, so much knowledge that you have. You didn't have any of these questions in advance, but yet able to uh, share so much uh, wealth of information about St. Joseph and art. And uh, really, this was a great tutorial of some of the great pieces all throughout history. Uh, all throughout the centuries, really, of St. Joseph and Arden, helping us to understand when we see different pictures, well, what does this mean or what's this trying to say? So uh, thanks so much for sharing all that information today. Well, thank you. It was lovely having a chance to talk about St. Joseph. I feel like I haven't talked about St. Joseph for all these years of my life, and now that I'm getting to be Joseph's age, I feel like time for me to make up for lost time. Sure. Well, one of the ways that we can uh, talk about St. Joseph is through as many different titles. And that's the way that I end each uh, little program is simply to uh, pray the litany of St. Joseph. So um, I'll lead it and you'll just uh, respond. And uh, everybody who uh, listens will pray along with us. So let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Uh, Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. Noble offspring of David. Pray for us. Light of patriarchs. Pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God. Pray for us. Chaste Guardian of the Virgin. Pray 
Yes. Foster father of the son of God. Pray for us. Zealous defender of Christ. Pray for us. Head of the Holy Family. Pray for us. Joseph most just. Pray for us. Joseph most chaste. Pray for us. Joseph most prudent. Pray for us. Joseph most courageous. Pray for us. Joseph most obedient. Pray for us. Joseph most faithful. Pray for us. Mirror of patience. Pray for us. Lover of poverty. Pray for us. Model of workmen. Pray for us. Glory of domestic life. Pray for us. Guardian of virgins. Pray for us. Pillar of families. Pray for us. Comfort of the afflicted. Pray for us. Hope of the sick. Pray for us. Patron of the dying. Pray for us. Terror of demons. Pray for us. Protector of the Holy Church. Pray for us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. He has made him Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in your loving providence chose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother, grant us the favor of having him for our intercessor in heaven whom on earth we venerate as our protector, you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, very good. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Lev, for being with us today. And if people want to read things you write, if people want to learn more about the work that you do in Rome, how can they do that? Well, I have a website, elizabeth-lev.com. And uh, you will see a series, I have a series of articles coming out on St. Joseph for Alatea. So they've commissioned a six-part series on St. Joseph. So you'll hear more of what you hear what I said and more, or you read what I said and more in those upcoming pages. Well, that's great. I'll look forward to uh, reading that. And uh, yeah, actually, I was very grateful to Alatea because uh, I, I wrote a Station to the Cross, praying the stations with St. Joseph, kind of finding the parallels between the early life of Jesus and Joseph and the Holy Family to that of the, the crucifixion and the passion. And, and Althea graciously published it for me on their website. And it's gone like wildfire across the world and it's being translated into different languages. So, uh, you know, lots of interest, I think this year during the year of St. Joseph and hopefully so many people will check out many of the beautiful art pieces of St. Joseph. So thanks so much. Thank you. And you've been listening to another edition of the Cup of St. Joe, in which we've served you an espresso shot of teaching and devotion about St. Joseph. Join me again next week as we continue ex to explore the richness of St. Joseph during the year of St. Joseph. I'll see you then. God bless.